All right, we're going to play a little game this morning. This game is called Don't Even Think About It. So I want you all to close your eyes. No one peeking. This isn't the time where I tell you to raise your hand and no one looking around and all those kinds of things. Uh, now, this is called Don't Even Think About It. So with your eyes closed, I want you to not even, don't even start thinking about lunch today. Don't even think about that nice juicy steak cooked to order. If you are thinking about that for lunch today, that's, you're, you're getting a better lunch than I am today. Don't even think about a fresh garden salad with plump tomatoes and just the right amount of dress. Don't, don't even think about a gourmet burger. Maybe with bacon, cheddar cheese. Don't even think about a pile of salty, steaming, greasy, golden fries. Keep your eyes closed. We haven't gotten to dessert yet. Don't even, don't even think about that piece of, of steaming blackberry cobbler with just enough vanilla ice cream on the side to start melting as it goes and co-mingles with the juice. You're not thinking about it, though. Don't even think about a half dozen chocolate chip cookies straight out of the oven. Okay, you can open your eyes. Um, we probably can't tell whether anybody won or not. Did anybody not think about any of those things? Okay, well, all right. Well, at least you're honest, I guess. Um, I, I remember um, a friend years ago, his son was, was about so big, and he was trouble, struggling with uh, sleeping through the night. I had bad dreams or whatever it was, but he would, he would come into his parents' room in the middle of the night. It was on and on and on, going on and on, much longer than it, it needed to go. And, and uh, my friend finally, uh, he, he took his son back in and put him back in his bed one more time. And you know how you get kind of in the middle of the night and it's, you know, 2.30 in the morning and you get a little grouchy. And uh, he said, don't even think about getting out of this bed again. And his son crosses his arms and he says, I'm thinking about it, Dad. I, I don't know if, if that kind of thing has ever happened to you before where you're, you, you know, you, maybe you're, you're really not supposed to be thinking about something or, or, or you're not uh, supposed to be uh, thinking about uh, saying something or doing something, but then that's all you can think about, right? Um, I'm assuming that's what happened as we closed our eyes and thought about lunch. Um, I, I know I've lost all of you. It's not the best introduction to a message because now you're all ready for lunch. You're planning where you're going to go and who you're going to go with and um, what's in the oven already and all those kinds of things. Uh, but sometimes we, we get these things in our minds and we just, it, just doesn't, it seems like we just can't help it. It's just, it's just there, right? We just can't help it. And sometimes we struggle with sinful things, Right? Uh, like, like you know you really shouldn't, and, and you know you really don't want to, and, and you know it's not good for you, but, but you still kind of feel the draw towards it, and you know that the consequences are, are bad because you've done it before, and, and yet you just get drawn into it. We don't, have to, we don't have to take a poll or raise our hand today whether you've ever struggled with that kind of thing, with, with sinful things. But if that's you, you might be able to relate to the passage that we're going to look at today. The Apostle Paul uh, recounts a time in his life when he was struggling with that very thing. It, it seemed like he just couldn't help it. Romans chapter 7. So we've been marching through this, this uh, letter to the, uh, to the Romans. And uh, we're gonna, we, we did all of chapter 6 last week. We're actually going to jump to the last half of Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14 this morning. Here we go. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. 
I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And that takes us through the end of Romans chapter 7. Now it sounds here like Paul's in, in, in some deep doo-doo, right? I mean, he's, he's doing and doing and not doing and wants to do and doesn't do and all that. I, I still remember middle school, Sunday school class when I was in middle school and uh, the lesson was about this and, and I was called on to read and I started reading this and I just couldn't, I just started laughing. I, I couldn't get through it and it was like, I, I, probably because I was saying doo-doo a lot, right? Middle schoolers like to like to laugh about that, but um, but yeah, I have no idea what the lesson was about. I don't understand. I don't know what they were talking about, but I, I still remember that. And me and my friends, we were just ah, it's just the funniest thing in the world. It's a it's a tongue twister for sure. I mean, reading through that, I had to practice for you know, man all week to be able to read that this morning. Not only is it confusing because it's hard to read, but uh, but Romans chapter seven has actually been a um, a battleground for scholars literally for centuries. Um, there are two main camps, so to speak, in, in translating this or in looking at how we can apply this to, to our lives. Um, and, and it all has to do with, the, the two sides, the, the, the divide has to do with when in Paul's spiritual journey that he's experiencing this inner turmoil. So he says, I, I want to do the right thing, but evil's right there with me. And, and uh, sometimes I, I, you know, there's, there's good things that I want to do that I don't do. And then there's bad things that I don't want to do, but I end up doing those things. And there's this struggle and this, and, and so there's two camps. The first, the, the, the first side, uh, would, would take this kind of at face value, reading through it and, and say that Paul is simply writing from his, from his current experience. So Paul is explaining that although he was saved 20 plus years before, uh, and he dedicated his life to preaching literally around the known world of that time that he still is struggling with evil and sin. That, that it's just as prevalent at the time that he's sending this letter to the Romans that, that as, as it was at the time of his conversion. And, and so this camp uh, would, uh, scholars, uh, the, uh, theologians would conclude that, that our experience is, is going to be the same thing. That there's no relief from the struggle with sin while we're here in this life and every day we will sin in word, thought, and deed and, and there's no hope of it getting any better. And it's just how it is. Paul, uh, see, Paul struggled with it. Uh, there's, if, if we look at camps or theological perspectives or, or whatever, the, 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 this would be uh, one tenant of the, uh, of the folks that are maybe, if you have some Lutheran background or, or Baptist background, you've probably heard this kind of thing before, goes back to Calvinistic theology or John Calvin back in the 1500s. So yeah, it's probably more history than you ever cared to know, but, but there you go. The other side, and there's, you know, 
versions all in between. But the other main side would say that Paul, because of the context, in, in light of what Paul has written thus far in, in Romans as well as in his other writings, remember he's already written uh, several other letters before he ever, ever comes to Romans. So uh, in light of everything that we know about Paul and, and what he's written, um, and knowing his, his life and all those kinds of things, the, 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 these folks would say, well, there's no possible way that Paul's writing about a current struggle going on in his own life right now. Uh, he must be hearkening back to what his experience was at some point in the past. The, the best evidence of, uh, of that side is that, that uh, what, what we've seen here in Romans. I mean, last week, uh, Romans chapter 6, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about how our spiritual lives do get better than just, uh, just uh, what we described it as a wash, sin, repeat kind of existence that, that I'll, I'll go to God and get cleaned up and, and forgiven and then I you know, just can't help it, I'm going to go back into sin and then I'm going to come back and, oh God, I messed up again. And, and, and so, so chapter 6 is all about that. And uh, if we look ahead, and uh, if you've been reading ahead, you'll know that chapter 8 and beyond also talk a lot about that as well. Paul has described the necessity of, of dying to sin. We, we talked about that last week. We die to sin and we're raised to a new life. We, we identify with Christ's death and crucifixion, and so we, uh, then we identify with his, his resurrection and we have new life. We, he's told us that we're, we're no longer slaves to sin anymore. We're slaves to righteousness. So, so when we come to this passage now in Romans chapter 7, how, how could that possibly be something that Paul is still struggling with after telling us that, that we can overcome all that in, in the, the, the passages before this and after this and in other letters as well? So, many scholars uh, would, would say that Paul is retelling an experience, his experience, um, after coming to Christ for salvation. So he's been forgiven, he, he wants to serve God, we can see that through this passage, but there's still this struggle. But it's before he's come to the point of, as he described in chapter 6, and again we'll describe in 8 and beyond, that he, he hasn't yet come to the point of sanctification, where, where God has completely sanctified him through and through. This would be, this would be the theological perspective of, uh, the, uh, coming from John Wesley in the 1700s. This would be, uh, Church of the Nazarene perspective, the Wesleyan Church, Church of God, uh, uh, others in the, uh, the, the uh, Methodist Church, others in, in that vein, I guess, of, of theology. So those are the two main positions that theologian, the, theologians have debated them for years, and they probably always will. And, uh, you know, of course, I subscribe to the, the second one that I just, that I just uh, explained to you, I, and of course, you can feel free to disagree with me. You'd be wrong, but uh, you, can, you can certainly... I'm just kidding. That's the perspective that I'm going to be coming from, however, because it, it sure looks like Paul is describing something that, ha that he has struggled with in the past, but it's not this current thing that he can't help, he can't overcome this whole sin problem. It's probably more a theological debate than you thought you were getting into this morning when you got up and came to church. Uh, but, but you can no doubt identify with the struggle, no matter when it happened in, in Paul's life, and, and we'll get to that, and we, we need to know that so that we can apply it to our own lives, but, but you can identify with the struggle, right? Uh, there's, we've all been there. There's, there's good that I know that I should do, but I don't do, and there's bad that I know that I shouldn't do, but I do it anyway, and, and sometimes I choose the right thing, and sometimes I choose the wrong thing, and it's a wrestling match, and it's frustrating. Especially when we want to be all that God wants us to be, but, but we don't seem to be able to pull it off. 
And so I, I guess I, I asked, asked myself the question this week, well, if this is so difficult for people, why worry about it? What's, what, what's the big deal? Why, why does the Bible make such a big deal about sin? I mean, maybe, yeah, sin is, is sin. We're always going to deal with it. And so maybe we just shouldn't feel guilty about it. No big deal. It reminded me of a story about a man who, um, who went into a restaurant, was seated. The, the waitress asked for his order. He ordered a Coke. And uh, she came and set it in front of him. Immediately, as soon as she set it in front of him, he grabbed the Coke and psh, threw it right in her face. She was, you know, taken aback. And immediately, he was, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he grabbed his napkin and he tried to help her. And, and uh, she was, you know, flustered and didn't know what in the world was going on. And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I have this problem. I just, I just can't help it. I mean, I don't want to do this, but, but I just can't help it. And, I, and it, it just... And the, the owner of the restaurant came over, saw the whole thing, came over and said, Sir, you are not welcome in this place until you get some help. Well, he left and several months later came back to the same restaurant. The owner of the restaurant recognized him immediately and uh, said, Sir, you're not, you're not welcome. He said, No, no, I've gotten help. I've been seeing a, a therapist and, and uh, really worked through this and I've gotten some help. Cautiously went and sat, sat him at a table and the owner went and got him a, got him a Coke uh, himself and sat it down. Immediately the man grabbed the Coke and threw it in his face. He's all flustered. I thought you said you got some help. He said, oh, I did, I did. I still do it. I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. So sin, I mean, we can... The, the problem is that we feel guilty about it, right? We just don't feel guilty about it. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe we can just stop feeling guilty about it. So, so it's kind of led me to start thinking about or, or helping us to dive into what, what is the big deal about sin and why should we feel guilty about it and, uh, and, and what we can do about it. I've told you before, uh, there are uh, two types of sin. Well, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different sins mentioned in the Bible, two types of spin, sin specifically, original sin and personal sin. So original sin we inherit, we're born with it. Adam and Eve sinned, ever since then humanity has been born with this bent towards sinning. We're, we're, we're given uh, two choices, one uh, is, is a sinful choice, one is not. We're, we're already drawn toward or bent toward the, uh, the sinful choice, it's original sin. Uh, maybe you're, you're uh, questioning that, is that true? I thought we were all born good, I, I just challenge you to, uh, to think about uh, children for a minute. Now, I love children as much as the next guy, and uh, I think, you know, they're cute and cuddly, and, uh, but I will not. I, I'm glad I have an excuse on Sunday morning to not serve in the nursery, but um, just kidding. No, everyone should serve in the nursery. Right, Karen? We need a lot of, yeah, okay. But here's, here's the biggest evidence toward original sin. Biggest evidence you can see. You never have to teach your child how to say no. Or, I won't. Or, don't make me do that. You never have to teach them that, right? They, they, they usually come up with that on their own. I don't want to. We have to teach them how to say, you know, uh, please and thank you and you're welcome. But, but we don't have to walk through this, oh, if you don't want to do something, say no. They, they get that on their own. You never had, have to teach a kid how to throw a tantrum, right? They can do that on their own. They, they know how to scream for their own way. They, they know how to rebel. But kids have to be taught how to be polite and pleasant and how to obey. We're born with 
original sin, this bent towards sin, or I guess we could say a bent towards selfishness. I'm going to look out for myself and I'm most important. Personal sin then, so that's original sin. Personal sin is what we do because we're born with original sin. So we sin. We're, we're born into sin and we sin. The, the act of sin, sinning, is, uh, are the, the, the wrong choices that we make, the wrong things that we do, that's personal sin. John Wesley defined personal sin as, quote, a willful transgression of a known law of God. There's a lot of important things in that, in that uh, definition. Uh, first of all, it's a willful transgression, so I'm deciding to. I, I'm willing to do that. It's a, uh, I'm, I'm going to break what I know is wrong, what God is telling me, and I'm going to do it anyway. God is, uh, has, has made this known. I'm going to not do what God wants. Personal sin involves choosing to do the wrong thing, choosing not to do the right thing. It's different than just a mistake. Uh, and, and that's important in a lot of discussions, and, and we'll get to that not only today, but, but uh, in the future, because a, a right understanding of sin helps us understand all that Jesus does for us uh, as, uh, through his death and resurrection. So personal, original sin we're born with, personal sin uh, is, some, is the way that we act it out. It's di- it, I choose to do it. It's not just a, a mistake that I slipped up, but, it's, uh, but I, I choose to. There was a young woman who, who went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I have a besetting sin and I want your help. She said, I come to church on Sunday and I can't help thinking that I am the prettiest girl in the congregation. And I know that I shouldn't think that, but I just can't help it and I need you to help me. And the pastor said, well... Mary, you don't need to worry about that because it's not a sin. It's just a mistake. Oh. There's a difference between this intentional, uh, willful, uh, personal sin and a mistake. Sin, personal sin, involves a conscious decision. But, uh, but, but we still have to come around to why is it wrong. So we've got original sin and personal sin. Sin that we're born with, uh, sin that we act on. Uh, but, but why is it wrong? Well, I, I said just a minute ago, sin is rooted in pleasing myself. I'm going to do what I want to do and you can't stop me. One reason sin is a problem is uh, the society, that there are consequences. And one, one place where there's consequences is in our society. There are societal consequences to sin. Uh, if, if I'm living only to please me and I don't care about you, then, uh, then there's going to be consequences, right? If I don't think that the law applies to me, that I can do whatever I want, then there, w- there are societal consequences to that. When we choose not to follow the law of the land, when we choose to do what we want to do, uh, when we choose to sin, uh, we're only serving ourselves and we're not taking into consideration that there are societal consequences. In the Old Testament, several times, uh, when they were between leaders in the Old Testament, the, the scripture says that the, the Hebrew people did that which was right in their own eyes. Each person kind of did what they thought was right, and, uh, and, the, and, and then they had to deal with the consequences of that. So there are societal consequences to sin. There are also personal consequences to sin. Uh, sinful behavior leads to bad results. Now, uh, that's true in the here and now, that uh, there are, there are uh, consequences to sinful behavior. Usually sin uh, starts out as something good and great and wonderful and ends up with bad consequences. And so there are, there are difficulties that we face and it drags us down because it causes problems in our lives. There are personal consequences, not only in this life, however, but there's personal consequences for us eternally, right? That there, there's, uh, there's, there's consequences uh, in, in, 
you know, if I if I'm die in my sin, then I'm heading to the hot place, right? I'm not, I'm not going up and going down, right? There's, there's, there's eternal consequences for sin. And, and so, so we have societal consequences, we have personal consequences, and those things are great arguments to say, yeah, I probably shouldn't sin. Sin's probably a bad thing. It's not just an issue of whether I feel guilty about it or not. Sin's a problem. But there's, there's even more to it. Because even more than the societal and the personal consequences, the big deal with sin is that it breaks our relationship with God. God told Adam and Eve not to eat from that, from that one tree. Now, I don't know if there was something magical about that tree or not, but the, the big deal was God said don't do it, and they did it anyway. It was, it was an issue of obedience, keeping that relationship intact. They, they willfully and deliberately disobeyed, and it has forever harmed humanity's relationship with God. Sin continues to be a relationship issue to this day. Either I'm going to do what I want to do and follow my selfish desires or I will submit to God and His leadership in my life and out of love and respect for Him, I will do what He desires for my life. Now, you might think, and many people in Paul's day thought, that following the rules, following the law, would solve the problem of sin. So sin means I'm breaking the law. If I need to, in order to take care of the sin problem, I need to follow the law. The whole first half of, of chapter 7 uh, talks about the law in detail. We didn't read that today. Uh, it, uh, in the passage we read, does talk a little bit about the law and the issues there. But rule, following the rules doesn't solve the problem of sin. Because at its, at its core, sin is a relationship issue. It's not a rule issue. The relationship needs to be restored. And so Paul has stated numerous times and numerous ways up to this point in Romans that we can't restore the relationship with God on our own. Sin is too devastating and has broken that relationship with God. We're sinful and we sin. We're born into sin, original sin, and we commit acts of sin. We willfully commit acts of sin. Sin rules our hearts, and only Jesus can overthrow that rule. And so when we come to God in faith and we believe in Christ for salvation, then, then, then we're all good, right? I, I mean, sin is gone, and I, I'm holy and perfect. Well, that's not how it works either. My, my sins are forgiven. I come to God, my sins are forgiven. Jesus deals with my personal sin. I am saved. I'm justified. We've talked about that many different times over the last few uh, couple of months here now. Uh, I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, the, the, uh, God says you're guilty as charged, but Jesus has paid the penalty for the sinful behavior that you have done. You are, you are, uh, you are saved. You are forgiven. So sin no longer rules in my heart. But it's still around. It's still hanging around. And at this stage in the game, what they told us, uh, I guess to remember, and it worked because I remembered it, uh, even back in, in seminary days, how many hundred years ago that was for me, uh, sin remains, but it no longer reigns. So before I come to Christ, sin is on the throne of my heart. When I come to Christ and I get saved, I am born again. He's forgiven me, and sin is no longer ruling in my heart. But it's, it's still hanging around. The, the, the original sin is still a problem. 
Now that's great progress. I, I mean, uh, sin remains, but it no longer reigns. Well, I, it, it, it means that I've come to, to faith in God. I'm believing in Him for my salvation. I have a relationship with Him. I have the hope of heaven when I die. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's an awesome experience. But sometimes I'm still doing what I want to do and not what God wants me to do because sin is still hanging around. Sometimes I, I, I want to do what's right, but sin is still lurking there, drawing me away. And original sin remains in me, and I choose to act on it. And it gets frustrating uh, for, for us and for God. It's, it's frustrating. It, it frustrated Paul so much that, that, that when you, uh, you, you sense his frustration, by the end of the passage, it kind of comes to a climax here. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? That, that sin uh, frustration became a huge deal in Paul's life and he knew it was not what God had planned for him so uh, it was actually leading him away from God and, and some have stated that, that in saying this who can deliver me, who can rescue me from this body of death he may have been referring to a practice that, uh, that, that, that some in that culture uh, practiced in, in, in that time frame where convicted murderers were sometimes sentenced to have the body of the of the, the the person that they murdered tied tightly to their backs. I know it's it's a morbid thought to think about, but but they would they would uh, tie they would sentence them to have their victim tied literally lashed on to their backs until the infection would overtake the murderer as well, and and he would succumb to infection and die. Could be, some scholars say it could be that same picture that Paul has in mind when he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Sin, uh, Paul didn't want to be strapped to sin anymore. And it felt like the sin was still strapped onto him. He couldn't do anything about it and he was just drawn into it at times. And I mean, I'm guessing you've been there. <laughs> the guilt and the frustration and, and sinful habits seem to derail us and... We can push it aside for a while, but it seems to come back. And, and even if we're trying to serve God, sin is still there trying to entice you away. So what do we do about it? How do we, how do we conquer sin? Short answer is we don't. You cannot conquer sin. The only deliverance comes from God through Jesus. Right? Paul came to the place, I'm convinced, uh, and, and many scholars in our Wesleyan theological uh, uh, th strain, of, strain of theology of belief, uh, I'm convinced that at some point after his conversion on that Damascus road, and before he started preaching the gospel around the known world, uh, it, when he cried out, uh, just like we see here in, in Romans 7, he cried out, who can deliver me from this body of death? He's fed up with the struggle and he says, I can't do this anymore. And, and he came to that point what what uh, what, what we've uh, we've called for years in the church a second work of grace beyond that time we come to come to God for salvation and say God forgive me now we come to the place where we say God uh, I can't conquer this sin in my life and I turn myself over completely to the sanctifying work of Jesus I guess I'd summarize it this way uh, how do we overcome sin in our lives well first of all we need to own it that there really is sin in my life, and, and I need to recognize that. I'm not above it. I'm not beyond it. I need to own it. But then I have to let God deliver me. I have to come to the place where I'm not satisfied with it anymore. Sin is demoralizing. As, as Paul says, what a wretched man I am. We are wretched. We are, we are born in sin, and we sin. 
even after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's still this battle raging within us. And we need to own that. We need to recognize that. Uh, We could stop right there and settle for that existence and just feel like we're always going to be struggling with sin. Paul says there's got to be more than this. And so he sought deliverance. He sought rescue. Uh, Actually, and this is an important point, Paul didn't just seek deliverance. He sought a deliverer. He didn't seek rescue, he sought a rescuer. Who can deliver me from this body? Not, not what, but who. It wasn't going to be the law, it wasn't going to be following all these, these uh, customs and practices and rules. It was going to be, in a, uh, the answer li- was going to lie in a relationship. Who can deliver me? The answer to that. And the, the, the answer, I believe, with all of my heart, uh, uh, to the debate of whether this was going on in Paul's life right then or whether it, uh, whether it happened uh, years ago, I, I think is right there in verse 25. He says, God delivers me. He's already done it, and he's continuing to do it. God delivers me. Who will deliver me? from? It's, it's only by God through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says. And there's, there's the answer already. There's hope. Our lives do not have to be characterized by struggling with sin until we die. Jesus Christ has provided deliverance if we allow him to sanctify us. There's, there's, there's a great word picture that I heard years ago and it kind of helps me and, and maybe it'll help you today. Uh, the picture of, of driving, uh, driving through your life. Picture yourself driving through life. And when you want to turn, you turn. And uh, when you want to speed, you speed. And when you want to slow down, you slow down. When you want to stop, you stop. You are in charge of your life. You are in charge of where you're going. You get to make the choices. You get to decide whether to turn or not, whether to, to go or not, whether to stop or not. Uh, you, you get to decide. But at some point, God willing, uh, when, when, uh, when you feel the, the, uh, the, when God's uh, grace works in your heart and you come to the place of, of giving your life to him, it's kind of like you pull the car over and you let Jesus in. Come on in. That would be the, the point of salvation. And Jesus rides along with you and, and, and he points out where to go. And Jesus says, turn here and you turn there. And, and Jesus says, speed up and you speed up. And, and Jesus says, slow down and you slow down. And Jesus says, stop and you slow down because you're still driving. And sometimes Jesus says, hey, pull over here. I, I want you to experience this. And you ah, but I'm thinking maybe we need to head over here. And, and we end up going that way and we don't follow what Jesus says. Because you're still driving. You go where Jesus wants some of the time and where you want some of the time and he doesn't force you uh, and he even helps you get out of the dead ends that you get into and he helps you get out of the fender benders that you have that, that could have been avoided had you followed him. And at some point you realize that Jesus just might know what he's talking about. And at some point you realize that you need to to pull over and you need to take the key out of the ignition and hand it off <laughs> say Jesus you drive I'm getting in the back seat <laughs> I'm just along for the ride that's sanctification big big word big church word a lot of discussion over what that means one thing that it means is that I've given my life completely to God. I'm fed up with this whole 
being strapped to sin and struggling with all of this stuff and, and I come to the end of myself. What we talked about last week, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus is driving and we're just along for the ride.